0: Hello, and welcome to Rehydrate. This season, we'll be reading and discussing Leo Shishin's The Dark Forest, book number two of the Remembrance of Pass Past series. This is season three, episode six, The Snow Project, where we'll be discussing the last third of part three and the rest of the book. In season one, we talked about the three-body problem, and the hosts have varying levels of knowledge of this book and the rest of the series. My name is Dan, and I have read the entire series.
1: This is Tim, and I've only read up to this week's reading.
0: This is
2: Amin, and I've only read up to this week's reading. And I also, along with Dan and Talia, co-host the Rehydrate Spoiler Cast, where we get into much more detail about uh, our current readings and also talk about what happens coming up. So if you have read the entire series or you do not care about spoilers like me, uh, you should check that out as well.
0: It's in the same feed. So I want to give a Couple updates about the show itself. So, like I said, this is the last episode for the Dark Forest, but we will be continuing right uh, right after this on to the next book, which is Death's End. Uh, it'll be called Season Five, and that's only because, like I previously mentioned, we are in currently in production of Season Four, which is called Unfathomable, which is the music-based podcast that we've been recording, and we're in the final stages of editing and, and putting together. So that should be out soon. I don't know if it'll be out before. Uh, season five starts, but that's the discrepancy in the numbers. And next season, we're also going to be inviting some guest hosts to help us uh, you know, talk through some of the major plot points of Death End. And so that would be exciting. And finally, I've compiled the summaries for season one into a single episode that's available on the feed as a bonus episode to season one. So if you'd like to catch up on what happened or We remember what happened on season one for The Three-Body Problem. You can listen to that. And I've also posted all the summaries online and text form if you want to look to those. I will be also doing that for season three of this book uh, following this episode. And speaking of summaries, let's just jump right into the summary for the finale of The Dark Forest. So immediately following the Battle of Darkness, Lo Ji proclaimed that he knew it all along and that he holds the key to human victory. While Beijing descends into chaos... He just travels a great distance away from the city and waits for the droplet to kill him in the middle of the desert. But his demise is not meant to be, as the droplet suddenly changes course and starts an electromagnetic wave towards the sun, effectively blocking humanity from using it to send any more messages into deep space, the way that Yae did centuries ago, and how Luaji sent his spell. Upon returning to the city, Dasher and Luaji see another mob has grown, but this one has much different makeup. They are there in reverence of Loaji. His spell is worked, and the distant star one eight seven J three X one has been destroyed by a small object traveling at near light speed called a photoid. He is now worshipped as the savior of humanity, and his wall status is restored by Heinz and Ben Jonathan. Dasher is finally able to get Loaji to tell him the secret of the spell in confidence. The basis of the spell is rooted in the cosmic axioms that were imparted to him by I Wenjie all those years earlier. Although, he doesn't reveal it, who actually told him. From the axioms, he extrapolated the theory of chance of suspicion, such that a civilization can be considered to be either benevolent or malicious. However, due to the nature of space and the inability to communicate over great distances, the true nature of a distant civilization cannot be determined. And even if it could, there's no way to determine if that civilization considers you to be benevolent or malicious. This coupled with other principles of technological explosion, the fact that in the cosmic time scale, civilizations can make great progress in a very short time. The Battle of Darkness was just a microcosm of these axioms, and among the cosmic civilizations, like a hunter in a dark forest, if society makes itself known to another, it's simply safer for that civilization to fire upon them rather than making themselves known to the other hunters in the dark forest, or risk being found themselves. Loaji used the sun to broadcast the coordinates of a distant star to the universe, and, like he predicted, it was destroyed by another cosmic civilization not willing to take the chance, and decided that the destruction was a safer alternative. Unable to awaken his family from hibernation, and unable to send another spell since the droplet has blocked the sun, Luo Ji immerses himself in a relatively inconsequential project known as the Snow Project, which is to encircle the solar system and stellar bombs covered in oil from Neptune that will help detect the location of the nine other droplets on their way to Earth. After three years of working on the project, Luo Ji again falls out of favor with the public and once again is considered to be a fraud. Disheveled, he packs a shovel and heads to the cemetery where Ye Wenjie and Yang Dong are buried to dig his own grave. It is there where he has his final confrontation with the Trisolarans. Similar to Ray Diaz's threat, he has rigged a dead man switch to himself that when triggered will signal the bombs encircling the solar system to detonate in a very specific pattern that will broadcast the coordinates of Trisolaris to the universe. Realizing that Loichi's well-being is now critical to the survival of Trisolaris, a trio of Sofans unfold and negotiate with him. They agree to divert the droplets, Trisolaran fleet, lift the Sofan block, and help humanity build gravitational wave antennas. We end with Loa Ji and his family going to observe the gravitational antenna five years later, where he once again encounters an unfolded Sofan. This time, it's the trisolinar pacifist who sent the warning to Ye Wenjie all those years ago, and Loa Ji concludes that he hopes that one day, a brilliant sunlight will illuminate the dark forest. So there's a lot that happens in this episode, uh, obviously. The, all the secrets are, not all the secrets, but a lot of the, the kind of mysteries are revealed around what's been happening. Um, you know, the idea is important. So let's kind of come yeah, you know, beat by beat a little bit here. Um, but first, I want to talk a little bit about the reaction of humanity to the news of both the droplet attack and the Battle of Darkness. Particularly, I thought it was interesting how escapism, is rises again really fast as a concept and gets redeclared as a crime against humanity and it, when I was rereading it I mean it reminded me of you know Shishin has all of these like factions and terms or whatever and and in this chapter he introduces my favorite one of all of the, the whole series which is uh called mega civilization which is the humanity's civilization breaking down once they leave the confines of earth uh, so I just I just really like that that term anyway uh give you guys a chance to talk a little bit about you know how you thought about humanities uh, kind of reaction to, to the news?
1: I think it made sense. Um, I think there would be a lot of hopelessness that would spread really fast and escapism would make sense to me, honestly. And this, given the technology that you know humanity has been able to develop and all that, that seems like their only way out. I'm actually kind of surprised that redeclaring escapism as a crime against humanity and trying to like tamp it down, like it feels like there would be more pushback against that, you know, even within authorities. Uh, so like, I would think that authorities would start to take escapism more seriously just you know given what they would know and what they just observed at the moment
0: it seemed like it was kind of ruled by mob mob justice though right like the people are trying to get out of there and like they're like they had you know hundreds of thousands of people like firing their lasers and you know together against the space elevators to to stop them from going into space so yeah yeah, yeah.
1: i mean i imagine they had to like in, in the short term you know tamp down chaos like that
2: i i agree with tim i i think i think seeing the droplet attack so thoroughly destroy uh things i think hopelessness is probably the first reaction because you know that was probably humanity's best effort at it and it really didn't have an effect at all so I, i thought humanity's reaction was yeah predictable
0: would you like to see more of their reaction? Like, was there enough time dedicated to it?
2: I, I thought so for me, yeah. I, I, I think it was, I, I think it did enough to to set up the rest of the conclusion of the book. So I don't think they should have dwelled on it more than they did. Yeah, I agree. T-
0: to me, it seemed like, I think it's fine also, the amount of time they spent on it. The way he writes it, it makes humanity seem kind of like one big collective uh, mind, you know? And they kind of like all shift like together, you know? And like, the, it seems like it'd be more differing opinions and that kind of thing uh and they're really fickle too like they they keep changing their mind like really fast and maybe that's just like what humanity would do like you know just like the fact that like the, they go from despair to reverence of Logie to hating Logie again, <laughs> it's like they just kind of they're they're really a uh, short short attention span, right,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a little uncharacteristic given how he's you know yeah carefully kind of laid out like factions and different lines of thought like before that, and now they all kind of turn into like the the Simpsons mob, you know um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um I, I guess I would have expected there to be more of a, from the higher, you know, from, from the higher ups, from the governments and all that, more of like an organized escapist plan.
0: Well, they talk about the European fleet trying to organize that. And then they yeah. even go so far as to like elect 100,000 people to go. But then predictably, the other people who aren't in that group get really mad. And then that's when it uh, kind of all breaks down. The giant orgy makes complete sense to me. So you know, <laughs> they, they... Yeah, the hundred hundred thousand people. <laughs> yeah, in
1: fact, I was a little taken taken aback by like uh, Dashur, and it's like I don't know why he reacted like so negatively to, to that. It was like grumbling as to why the. Authorities don't like tamp this down. Like, who gives a shit? Like,
0: kind of lowered lowered him
1: in my, yeah, kind of like knocked him down a peg in my estimation. But,
0: yeah, he has the old, you know, common air sensibilities. Yeah. He's a prude.
1: Yeah, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, go for it. You don't even need a world ending event to do that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, and speaking of Dasher, so in this chapter, uh, one of the things I also had noticed in previous reads, but I wanted to bring up here is that we finally get a mention of what happens to our old friend Wang Miao. I mean, it doesn't explicitly say that it's Wang Miao, but um, based off the context I'm guessing it is, so I'm going to read the passage here. So Xiang smiled and shook his head. You remind me of an intellectual that I met 200 years ago. He had the same hangdog look at, that you've got. I remember him sitting out early in the morning in front of the Wang Fu Jing church crying. But he got it okay. I checked after I woke up. He lived to be nearly a hundred, so I'm guessing that's like after Wang Miao sees the universe the flicker and you know Dashira comes in and meets him. Um, so yeah, we finally get a little bit of closure on Wang Miao. Uh, is that enough for you guys? Like, do do you care the what his story is? I mean, I know Wang Miao wasn't much of a character, but it's it's nice that we get a little bit of closure there.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's that seems appropriate um, given that. I didn't expect him to come back in any way.
2: Yeah, I had actually forgotten all about Wang Yao until that part, so <laughs> it was it it was sufficient for me. It wasn't, you know, I I wasn't scratching my head wondering what, what happened.
0: I, I would say, like when I was reading it, I was like, well, maybe Wang Yao will show up again or sometime, you know, but yeah, he doesn't. Let's just dive into the. The meat of the the ep, of this episode and this chapter, which is logic's importance, the dark forest principle. One thing you know, going back and looking at it, he mentions a lot of concepts and a lot of axioms and that kind of thing. So really early in uh, the chapter or in the in the book, sorry, in the actually the prologue when uh Ji and Ye Wenji are talking, she actually mentions the the two. She's mentioned the axioms, of course, but then her quote is that. To derive a basic picture of cosmic sociology from these two axioms, you need two other important concepts, the change of suspicion and the technological explosion. And she does the thing of like, oh, I don't have time to talk about it, but you figure it out. yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, kind of setting up the mystery, like letting you figure it out himself. Yeah, I guess this is like dive right into the, you know, your guys understanding and, you know, and your thoughts about this, this part.
1: Yeah, I really liked it. I, Like this, this wrapped up a bit more satisfyingly than I expected it to personally. Uh, So prior to to this, and I mean, I think it's a bit of intended fake out. You're you're supposed to be left wondering what's, you know, Luigi's role in all of this.
0: Yeah. And they and they fake out a couple of more times, like, Oh, is were really gonna kill himself? Like, you know, does he is he really that mad that the humanity doesn't like him anymore?
1: <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean they uh yeah, he he sort of made good, I think, on the whole like I don't uh, know, wall facer conceit, at least in Louis, you know, Luigi's case, it played out pretty well, at least as far as um even the reader is concerned, you know, he managed to, you know, fake you out a little bit with it, which is kind of I suppose the intent of the whole wallfacer. His character played a good wallfacer even from the reader's perspective. I throughout this yeah i mean obviously it's set up so much that you just kind of Textual expectations of how the story is going to go, that the spell is going to come back in some way or, you know, prove to be important in some way. And Luigi is going to be proved to be important in some way, because that's obviously what the, he's the main character of the book. But uh, I didn't know what it was going to be until he explained the spell and you know, the whole purpose for it, which was, yeah, to basically, you know, on a, on a more cosmic scale, like, yeah, throw out like a decoy to see if a sniper shoots it or something, you know, like, <laughs> Right. right. Um, that's how I, kind of, how I kind of thought of it.
0: Yeah. I think you had mentioned like in an earlier episode that when he's actually like determining which star to send the spell to, you know, like why doesn't he just do it closer? You know? And he also was like saying like, I, the, the star is too close. Uh, I need to go further away. I need to be 50 light years away or so that, yeah, the reason is because he knows, or he assumes that the that star is going to be destroyed and he's proven right. Just for listeners, uh, I'm going to read the passage that talks a little bit about, about the spell and what it actually is. So Uh, Using the sun, I transmitted three images of the cosmos. Uh, Each one consisted of 30 points representing the planar projection of the three-dimensional coordinate system containing the position of 30 stars. Combining these three images into three-dimensional coordinates forms a cubic space populated by those 30 points. This represents the relative positions of 187J3X1 and its 29 surrounding stars. There's also a label pointing out 187J3X1. Yeah, he... Comes up with a system to to broadcast the coordinates and the position, the relative position relative to the other stars around it to the, you know, to in, into the ether. Or he just pushes it out there, and then he mentions later on, like, well, you know, if a million people find this, like, maybe nine hundred thousand won't care about it, or you know, and maybe like ten thousand will look at it and see it's not a problem. But there is going to be one or two out there who just like don't even bother taking a look at it and just destroy it just to just to be safe. So I, I mean, obviously
2: I, I knew this was going to happen, but I, I liked the way it was done. And, and the question I had was, so, so, uh, I know we'll get to the, to the conclusion of this as well, uh, with the dead man switch, but did the trisolarians know the trisolarians knew that he did all of this, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't hidden from them at all that he had transmitted these coordinates. So, so they, they knew that he wasn't bluffing at the end. Right.
0: Yeah, they they knew he he transmitted the coordinates of the other one, yeah. the other the other star. They didn't realize what he was doing. They thought he was just like wasting his time and trying to find something to do in the three years since they they said, "Well, we're blocking him from transmitting the coordinates of the sun, mm-hmm. and there's nothing else he can do." So he's just like pouring himself into this thing so he can get his yeah, family woken up. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's essentially th- like there's... His more ingenious fake out is the whole blowing up the bombs and finding an alternate way to communicate coordinates.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know why they didn't pick up on the dead man switch thing because they definitely knew about it. But yeah, like, right. yeah <laughs> like Ray Diaz kind of failed at it too. So, like, you're going to do it. You're going to do you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe they didn't
2: realize, maybe the reason they, again, not to jump around, but maybe they didn't realize or pick up on it is because they didn't know how he had planned to transmit these coordinates to. Right. Uh, other races so they just assumed that he wouldn't be able to to do it but obviously he had he had all that planned out as well so
0: yeah and it's it's cool like how you know he takes the lessons of the previous wall facers and you know kind of incorporates it into his own strategy i, I thought that i mean because it seems inconsequential at the time you know of like oh you know rey is just you know doing evil dictator stuff right but you know Luigi incorporates that into his own strategy that was a, a good, good callback and it actually works instead of you know has diaz's fake one he says it works presumably it does <laughs> yeah it's
1: it, it's kind of like they all kind of they all did end up kind of contributing it to to it because he kind of sort of needed to see them fail or see the way that they failed in order to kind of in the end you know you know kind of formulate his own plan
0: so thinking back on the previous episode when we talked about the battle of darkness does that did, did, this, did this chapter kind of recontextualize that uh that battle for you at all
2: no i don't th- i don't think it, it recontextualized I, I think it Just add more. Maybe this is what you mean. It just adds more background to it or adds more. Yeah, just adds more background. But I don't think it really changed how how I viewed that or how I read that, I guess.
0: I mean, did you because I think the point is that it's supposed to be a microcosm of what the entire uh, galactic community is supposed to be like, right? The, and the way that the battle of darkness was set up is that none of the ships knew about the chains of suspicion but that's it was kind of a a use case for that right like they didn't know what the other ship thought of them yeah and at the same time like they didn't know what the other ship thought of themselves right <laughs> so it's like a, a never-ending uh never-ending chain is the, and that's what loji was kind of testing and then that's why he says oh i knew it all along like as soon as he heard about it because this chain of suspicion was working and then because of that they ended up just firing to be safe because they didn't know you know what they know about them though about them though right
1: yeah i mean they were facing a bit more of a sort of immediate crisis in that they knew exactly what their resources were versus, you know, their population. And they knew that, you know, like they wouldn't be able to survive on on their collective resources, you know, relative to their population. And I mean, I suppose that is a microcosm of the, you know, the cosmic sociology axiom in, in that there's life can kind of be unlimited, but there's a limit, you know, a finite amount of, you know, universe. Right. But it's a little hard to believe even if the, you know, universe is this dark forest, the, the collective civilizations would be butting up against the finiteness of the universe. Like 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 so absolutely, like they like they would be butting up that that they would be that suspicious of everybody. Like it seems like there would still be like lots of room to expand to the point where you're not, you know, kind of this Mexican standoff with the rest of civilizations, you know?
0: I mean, it seems that way, but we don't know, right? Like how many civilizations are out there, right? Like that's the point. And so this kind of brings, and he, you know, Loaji mentions this himself, but there's a a thing called the Fermi Paradox where I'm going to read the quote that I copied from Wikipedia via Google. (laughs) Um, So in a very brief summary, the Fermi Paradox named after an Italian-American physicist, Enrico Fermi, is the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial civilizations and various high estimates for their probability. So meaning that because there's trillions of stars out there, there's billions and whatever amount of planets uh, that could harbor life. Like, why haven't we encountered more civilizations already? Like, they should be, the whole universe should be this, like, filled with, like, ships traveling around. But why haven't you seen any yet? And so the dark force principle here kind of uh, is a one possible solution to that where no one wants to reveal themselves because if they reveal themselves, then they endanger themselves. If a civilization does make itself known, then they're just destroyed to protect the safety of everybody else.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And I think, uh, I mean, if it, it, when, you got to, when I got to that part, I kind of felt like this whole book was, you know, like you know just one big lead. like it, it, he just wanted to the whole reason for it was for him to give his answer to the fermi paradox yeah. um <laughs> but it is but it is interesting because it's almost a complete intro like inversion of what we think of like universe being is very very empty and yeah this yeah kind of flips it on in his head and if you're kind of take you know extrapolating what he's you know saying here then the universe is actually teeming with life and already butting up against some sort of like resource limitation which is why everybody is kind of like hiding out I mean that's kind of how I how i took it yeah if you reveal yourself you just reveal well i mean now that i say that like it's kind of if everybody's like hiding from everybody else i guess it's only civilizations like earth or ones that are just finding this out or like don't know about that yet that are revealing themselves and then like marking themselves as a place for extra resources for other civilizations to come in
0: yeah i I like the analogy of like in the in the dark forest humanity is just like at at a bonfire like yelling around like hey we're here look at us look at us and like and like like all oh, the other like higher level civilizations are kind of around it with like pointing out their guns at them, right?
1: Yeah, and saying that like any other civilization, all of the other civilizations like Earth that have like been at that stage where they're technologically advanced to announce themselves, but too naive to understand what the universe is, just gets, you know, probably getting, getting snuffed out all over the place and just yeah, you know, somebody else is moving in to take, you know, take them over. Or
0: not even taking it over, just like destroying. Just, yeah, know,
2: destroying planet. the whole planet.
0: Yeah, yeah, they just destroy the sun and destroy the whole system just to, you know, nuke it from orbit, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I suppose then, I mean, depending on what your uh, technological level is, that if you, like, blow it up, then you could just kind of, I don't know, harvest the remain. You know, it's still energy. You could probably still harvest the remains somehow for yeah. your own use.
0: Way back at the in season one of this show and in through Glider Problem, I posed the question, like, is there more dangerous consequences to humanity, you know, YO NGA and, and humanity kind of broadcasting and even not even fictional people broadcasting coordinates and messages into space. The immediate danger was that the Trisolarans came here and were going to take over. But we see it could have been much worse. Like it could have been some even more advanced civilization just firing a photon and a photoid into our sun and blowing and, and destroying our solar system. Right. So it could have been a lot worse. Even uh, at least now we have a standoff with the Trisolarans, uh, where there's a possibility of you know cooperation and coexistence.
1: Yeah, and also yeah, like the trisolerns had their own crisis and they kind of had to leave their solar system. So, right. So, yeah, maybe we lucked out in that sense that yeah, they just because they're uh, butting up against their own pressures that, you know, obviously they have like much superior technology to us, but they're also under, uh, you know, pressure that causes them to make mistakes. Like they said that, you know, we failed in our strategy. I kind of like the the interactions they has at the end that even though you're, you know, we're kind of prior to this, we're back believing that the trisolarians are like this unstoppable force it's, it's kind of they they still have their flaws and their weaknesses
0: right yeah like they they don't understand deception and that was like their their primary downfall that right like they just didn't understand like that loji wouldn't be able to w- wasn't doing the wall project eventually worked right like yeah. him having this secret plan that he's not revealing anybody like it eventually worked or got to the point where they at least have a standoff
1: <laughs> this uh concept of the you know dark forest universe that makes me think about like supernovas and like we see like stars go and you know we have this like you know theory of like what you know when stars reach a certain point they collapse and all that and then they supernova and all that but now you think about like how many of those are just being blown up by other right. civilizations
0: yeah and the fact that like we happen to find life that's like only like four light years away like which is you know super close in like cosmic scale right uh right. so like that just lends itself to the fact that like yeah they, There's probably billions and, you know, trillions of civilizations out there that, you know, they're just like a little bit further away if our closest star already has life.
1: Right. And that's because, yeah, it's the opposite of what we think. Yeah, it's just this empty void where, you know, rarely, you know, civilizations popped up, but rather that they're everywhere.
0: Right. Yeah, we're not special. We're not, you know, just because we have life and our planet doesn't make us special at all. It's just we happen to be a younger civilization than, than the other ones uh, and haven't got to the point where we realize the dark force principle and haven't realized like our technological ability to go go forward and find them. Although the, I, I thought like the analogies, they talked about like the bacteria expanding and taking over the ocean within a couple of weeks. By just like dividing an exponential growth was was really interesting and and well well written uh, and then like how that's why humanity is so dangerous and the technological explosion it, it makes it even more more of a reason for more advanced civilizations to just destroy that the civilization before they can get to that point. This book has kind of shifted around a lot by going between you know more sociological stuff to more future tech stuff, not to more like really theoretical thinking and and not even theoretical but like philosophical thinking about the universe. Like, did you like the kind of shift in tone and uh, focus on this in this story in this book?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about how you know it's very uneven, and at least as far as. You know, the exposition goes, it's, you know, it's a little clumsy in the way that it's told that you spent the first half of the books, it's really slow. And then a lot of happens at once, you know, um, (laughs) or in a very short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I ultimately ended up enjoying this more than, the first book and you know reading a lot you know like reviews out there it seems very mixed as to whether you know it seems like there's definitely a uh a faction of people who are like really just liked the first book this was like a disappointment to them for whatever reason or you know they think the first book was the best one i don't think the first book stands on its own that well enough you know for me to take that route like i think it kind of needs what's happening here to kind of recontextualize it you know i i if if, the, if it was just a singular you know like I, I suppose if this entire trilogy hadn't been out and this was just the first you know like we just read the three-body problem i i'm not sure i would get why like people were like so nuts about it as a standalone story like mm. there's you know some interesting things there but it seemed seems like something that would have been like i don't know like like a short story, you know, like it would have worked better as just maybe a shorter story if that's all there was, you know, to it. I kind of think it needs to be the first part of a trilogy. Like I like it more in retrospect now that I know that it's leading up to this and setting the stage for something mm. rather than as that rather than as a standalone story.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you, Tam. and, and I I had the same thought. I, I like I like this book. I think there are parts of this book that I that I admitted to just kind of skimming over, like the whole Young Bahai stuff, which. I, I understand is important. It just wasn't as as captivating. But also last season when we read the long way to a small angry planet, um, just hearing you say that, I wonder if I would. I thought that book was was fine, but I wonder if I would feel differently about that book if I read the entire series and maybe more things are contextualized. I don't I don't know, but I, I think I think it's a really interesting point that on its own the first book I thought was fine, but combined with this, I think I think it's a much much richer and much better experience for me anyway.
0: Yeah, I would say on the, uh, Amin knows this, but Tim, Tim, when on the spoiler cast, you know, we've having discussions around people who do prefer the first book versus the second or third books. Uh, And I I haven't actually seen many people who have the opinion that the first book is the best. Um, I kind of go back and forth uh, around, you know, if the first book is better or the second book is better, like, you know, it's, it's no secret that I've said a million times that I think the third book is like by far the best <laughs> of all of them. I think like on this reread in particular and analyzing it, you know, more closely than I have in previous reads that I definitely prefer the second book just because of the bigger concepts it introduced and building on some of the concepts introduced in the first book, the The different aspects, how he uh, analyzes, uh, you know, like I said, like you know, he analyzes the more sociological al- aspect of it, of people's reaction, not only to the existential crisis of knowing about the tricellarians, but then, you know, kind of humanity's dealing with how different events that happen in the series. And like, maybe it's like a little bit glossed over. Like I said, like uh, they kind of move together <laughs> in a little bit more un- in an unrealistic way. Um, but I think there's more just for expediency's sake, like, you know, he's he had big plot points he wants to get to, and he's more focused on the big scientific concepts of the dark force principle and doing the cool future stuff. So I'm interested to, to hear more takes. So, I mentioned the spoiler cast, but like, if you really prefer the first book uh, of the trilogy more than the second and third ones, you know, let us know, like contact us because I'm interested to know why, you know, maybe you don't like the second and third books as much.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely an opinion I've seen, uh, you know, expressed out there just in reading, um, you know, some forums and, and reviews. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, you know, I mean, the first book, you know, revolves around, you know, the, like, what are the trisolarans? Are they real? Are they not? And just the, the, the narrative, like device of the, the three body problem, like the, the, you know, unfolding of everything through this, through this kind of weird, like VR game. I just wasn't, that I, I I like the amount of time that we spent in the three body problem like game and all that was just like I wasn't that into it I don't know just as a vehicle for this you know for the story and given that the, you know the character like Long Miao you know, you know wasn't that interesting a character and I was it was just so fuzzy as you know like the central mystery you know w- was interesting like what are the tri are they real are they an alien species or not just kind of like the journey to getting there it wasn't you know it wasn't my favorite part of this series so far so which is why I kind of like even though this second book is clumsy and uneven in its own way just given the first half versus the second half and how quickly you know things like accelerate yeah like the overall like like plot here more interesting to me or at least dealing with um more interesting kind of sci-fi concepts you know like i mean and you know giving an explanation for the fermi paradox is you know about one of the bigger more interesting things you can do in sci-fi and i mean it's this isn't you know by far like this isn't the only like sci-fi novel to do that or anything like explore these concepts yeah I think this is just more gratifying overall um, as a sci-fi story and the sci-fi questions you know and that it's posing and providing answers to or trying to provide answers to
2: so so tim I, I already know Dan's answer to this, and I'll give you my answer as well but does finishing this book at all make you interested in going back and rereading the three body problem to see what you miss because from my perspective i I'm not interested in going back and reading it I, I feel um, maybe if we didn't do the podcast and we didn't discuss it in so much detail i <laughs> I might want to go back but i but I feel like we thoroughly plumbed the three body problem experience yeah. just hearing what you say now would you be interested in going back and reading three body problem or are you are you done with that Probably
1: not rereading it in full maybe revisiting you know read it rereading like s- some synopsis of it
2: yeah I, I I feel the same like I'm interested in reading dan's recap or listening to dan's recaps again maybe but um as far as rereading it i don't think i would i don't think i would reread it no offense dan
0: oh that's all right i would say it's, it's probably more gratifying to reread the second book uh after you read the third book i think there's more there's more stuff to kind of dig into and there's more kind of through lines between those two books and there are the first book I mean, the first book sets up all these things, you know, it sets up the idea of broadcasting into the sun and like the Sophons and, and that kind of stuff. So it sets up a lot of these things. There's not a, lot, a whole lot of through lines between the first book and the, and the second book aside from those big kind of concept.
1: That's pretty common with like sci-fi and fantasy trilogies Um, is that you're never quite sure. There's always a first book written, and then you're never sure, especially the author isn't sure whether they're going to, you know, how the, how the rest of the story goes. So the second and third book yeah. tend to can comprise like you know more more of a singular story that feels a little separate from the first book anyway and i wouldn't like i mean if given infinite time and the fact that you know if i didn't have anything else i wanted to read i might want to you know revisit the first book but maybe not for a while yet
0: going back to your original point about the vr uh setup and the conceit in the first book i had the same kind of feeling like i was when i was reading it for the first time i was kind of worried that this was the whole book that was going to be so going back and forth to the vr world and it'd be the kind of thing and i was like not super into it <laughs> um so i was glad to see like a uh, halfway or two-thirds of the book through the book that they kind of dropped that and then that like, you realize that it's just a recruiting mechanism for the eto and like the story is actually much bigger than some vr game
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah i'm glad that that cause, like, if that was the whole book, I don't know that it would have been continued, <laughs> you know, like that's sure. not, it wasn't, it was getting old to me, I guess, like it's yeah, I going back and forth.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like that's, yeah, that back and forth to it and then back in the three body problem. And then, yeah. 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 At the time when you're in the middle of reading it, it can be yeah a little exhausting and slow.
0: Tim so I know you've read a lot of sci-fi and so I guess where would you rank this book in like your enjoyment of, of reading it you know wh- which tier I guess would you consider to be
1: I haven't read that much sci-fi yet. In fact, I've, it's something I've been just more been trying to get into than mm. like, I don't have like a long history with like sci-fi classics or anything like that, but I've read a few things that are similar, you know, or kind of play in the similar space. Um, the last half of this book has definitely, you know, raised the series in my, um, in, my in my view. So it's, the the actual like sci-fi concepts that are you know being explored here are really interesting more so than a lot of other books that i've you know read you know it's still it still maintains the same kind of general problem with it that i'm probably you know i'm i'm a little less hooked by the characters or like any you know a sort of like you know sense of adventure or something here or the prose you know or the character you know and the character interactions so more of a c on that level but it's you know it's kind of a b plus a minus on the you know like the concepts being explored here
0: yeah i would say like in the, in book 3 the characters become more prevalent so i mean i think i think they're better written and better you, they're better hooks into yeah. the the characters in book 3
1: yeah i mean that's that's what i've heard and i'm pretty i'm pretty excited for it now um yeah. whereas like i'm not sh- you know because a it's hard to, uh, where is it going to go now. Like I'm very happy with the way this book that this book wrapped up well not only that it wrapped up but that it wrapped up in the way that it did because i kind of expected you know after like i expected the you know the droplet and the destruction to be like the big like almost finale or like climax of this book yeah um and then like the remaining chapters just kind of like you know just kind of like leave things open for the next book so like this wrap up here was kind of a surprise um you know a good surprise and yeah given that i know you know have no idea what the you know third book entails other than i am imagine it will involve the actual meeting of the an interaction of humanity and the tri with this sort of detente in place.
0: Yeah, I got at, at the end of this book I got um like Empire Strikes Back vibe the the like Luke's looking at the solar system and like that's like Lojie and talking to Sofans like, well, we're at this impasse now. Like what's next, right?
1: <laughs> sure, but it's a, yeah, it's weirdly a little ha- it's it's sort of the inverse of that whereas yeah the end of you know Empire Strikes Back was yeah everything's horrible and then this is kind of weird because it, it seems like everything's horrible but takes a you know a slightly more positive turn so yeah i mean that's 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 more i mean that i mean that's a more interesting setup than just like well interstellar war with the trisolarans like i mean and maybe that you know occurs but the state of things are pretty interesting to me
0: yeah so it seems like they're at you know there's impasse and loggy has like this mechanism to hold over the tricellularians to make the force on them to cooperate and like they I, they do it it seems like now like postscript to you know the final chapter of this book is like five years later after after that they're already building gravitational wave antennas and like they're kind of sharing stuff and they they talk about a tri, a well-known tricellarian saying so it seems like there's like cooperation happening between the the two uh species right i, yeah. I guess like do you have any predictions you, you, you or i mean um about, you know, if that cooperation is going to continue, what's, what's the next phase there?
1: Yeah, I don't know. So, and, you know, so that's, that's uh, that's kind of a good thing to me is that's kind of unpredictable like i'm not sure where the story is going to go and i'm interested to find out i hope we finally get to see a tri-solarian and what the hell they look like or you know you know and another part of this too like i imagine this will have to take another like leap into the future curious to see what that looks like and i also imagine it will be uh, another set of characters because now i kind of expect well i don't know if dasher will somehow be in the uh third book you know now he's kind of established this pattern of kind of mostly self-contained characters you know with a a minimal amount of like kind of like handoff from one book to the next yeah i guess you know given how positively both you and other reviews and you know impressions on the internet that i've read of the third book i'm you know interested to see where it goes and what other like i guess what the central conflict will be given that it's sort of been not settled because again they have to meet and see what happens you know from there on but does it involve other alien civilizations i suppose
0: so i mean i know you're kind of spoiled on some stuff um i'm actually interested to know like what you think or what you'd want to see next uh, out of that the current state of earth and trisolaris relations
2: so I, I know some of the stuff is spoiled and some of it's not. So I, I'm not sure exactly how much of this is speculation and how much of this is actual fact. So maybe a spoiler warning here. So, so one of the things I liked about this book was the way that it shifted time. How it jumped forward a lot. And my understanding is that the third book does that as well. So I'm interested in in that part of it and seeing the world building in these different eras that that come up. Mm-hmm. And then also... I I imagine, and I don't. This is something I don't know, as I don't know if this happens or not. But I'm also interested in seeing, uh, like Tim is saying, whether or not other alien civilizations become involved and what that means for for the Trisolarians and the human uh, partnership, or or not. So I would assume I would assume there's something else out in space that the Trisolarians and Earth have to deal with, and I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm interested in that.
1: and another prediction, I suppose. That I have for the next book. Um, given kind of given how this you know book dealt conceptually so much with like humanity's reaction to you know impending alien threats, like it, you know it delved into like the psychology of humanity a lot. I kind of think that the theme for the next book will be how two different you know it, uh, alien civilizations might interact and might mingle and might like actually share cultural exchange, cultural and technological exchange. Like I imagine. That will have been on like the author's mind for the next book, and we'll probably go into that a lot.
2: And I don't know if this will happen or not, but I also think it would be interesting to see the perspective. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard this, but after World War II, there were some Japanese soldiers who were, who were on some islands, and they hadn't heard that the war was concluded, so they yeah. continued to think that the war was going on. Last episode, Dan read off a list of about 800 different ships. and <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm wondering if if some of those ships are uh, in some type of stasis or everyone is is hibernating and they don't know that what the new state looks like. I'm sure there's going to be some people who have a negative point of view of this collaboration. And again, going off of what Tim said around the societal impacts, will there be you know the people who don't trust this partnership and don't want? don't want to uh, cooperate and collaborate despite what other, whatever other threats there might be out there. So I think that would be um, interesting as well.
1: Right. Will there be humans that like f- it up for both?
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Another Ye when who tries to get the, both the Trisolarians and the humans
0: killed. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> 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 I'll just say like there, yeah, there's, there's varying perspectives on, on the story and, the like I said, like the I think in the next book, the characters are more centralized and more fleshed out than maybe some of the other books. Like uh, where Wang Miao is more of a, a neutral observer. The, the, there wasn't like strong characters to kind of tie into. Where I think that their book does have strong characters uh to tie into with different points of view of how to kind of move forward. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll say, like, all of the strong points of this book are expanded on in the third book. And that's why I like it so much. Like, the scope of the character interaction is expanded. The scope of the science is expanded. The story is expanded. Like, everything about it is just like, yeah, it's just like 10X this book, right? <laughs> so, like, that's why I like it the, the most. Um, and then hopefully you guys will too. But I you mean, know, there, there are controversies to it. So,
1: yeah, I mean, it's- it seems a lot to bite off uh, given how like, yeah. the, the the scope <laughs> of this one how how quickly it you know it expands and um
0: right i guess a couple of
1: questions i have you know just non spoil i mean spoiler questions is uh you know we've had two different like translators for you know these books and i know it's you know back to um uh you know the translator for the first book and yeah, i've can, read some i uh, I've, yeah yeah and i've read some criticism, you know i've read some criticisms of both of both that like some people seem to like like this this book or at least the translation of this book a bit more and and i mean i'm hard pressed to like uh you know point out specifics as to you know like how the first compared to the second like i like i just liked the second book a bit more so i don't know if like my impression of it being a better translator is just sort of like coming along as a writer on that or whether there was like a you know a big difference there
0: yeah like i think in the the yeah, the first that Ken Leo who did the first and third book, I think his yeah. writing style is more artful. I guess is the the best way to describe it. Where Joel Martinson did this book is more matter of fact, and it's like more cold and like less flowy prose and that kind of stuff. So I think like you'll see of, uh, a return to that kind of style where the prose is is more beautiful. I guess I wouldn't say it's beautiful. It's hard to say, right? It's like I, I don't think Louis Shishin has ever been like you know, like really already in this, you know, in, in his descriptions, like it's very scientific, but there's more, more warmth to it, I guess in the the first and third books. I I, I agree with you that I think the story for the second book is, is better. I've always wished I could read it in Chinese to kind of make a more, a, a better comparison, you know, like a, a more direct comparison because like there's no translation layer in between given the fact that I don't read Chinese, uh, like this is the best we have. And Anyway, <laughs> I think like the, the you you will you will notice a difference in style between the second and third books. I, I think, or I did, in that it's just a little bit more warm in his descriptions and a bit more personal, I guess, rather than the second book is a bit more cold and calculating. Yeah, and and I agree with Tim. I thought this one,
2: and and I can't put my finger on why, but I thought this was more enjoyable to read, and it could have just been story was better, or the translation, or some combination thereof, and maybe maybe um, Joel Martinson was just the right translator for this book. And, Mm. um, you know, it could be, I'm sure Ken Lee is very busy, but it could also be that they decided that this book needed, um, a different type of, of translation than, than the other books did.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure why he didn't do all three. I mean, I know he's a writer in his own right. And, you know, yeah, he's uh, he's got a he's got a day job. So. <laughs> yeah, so it's, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of work to translate a book, and a lot of uh, probably a lot of pressure, right? Because it's a really high profile series in China, and the third book is also really long. And I think they came out not too long after each other um, in the U.S. Yeah, you know, when they did want to be translated, so it may be just too much work for one person to do in the amount of time they wanted to get it done.
2: The last thing I want I wanted to bring up was we started we started this whole podcast with this with this premise about. Three-Body Problem is going to be a Netflix series and and we used to have a regular section called how they're going to translate this to the screen but having finished this book I, I think this book in some ways is going to be much easier to translate to the screen than the first book and then I think in other ways uh, especially in a lot of the conceptual ways I think it's going to be much harder and I was just wondering if you Tim and Dan if you guys had a perspective on either parts of this that you think would translate really well or things that they might have to change majorly to make it to make it fit for the series
0: i think it's gonna be a lot more difficult personally to translate the second book than it would be the first book the first book seems to be pretty filmable there's not a lot of like internal monologue They can kind of visualize a lot of the different elements of mom meow going into the three-body world and seeing the pyramids and the, the suns kind of go around each other you know showing the ship getting sliced that, that kind of stuff like the sofa going to be difficult to explain in a way but they can do it it's not impossible where this book is more like really internal monologues and talking about like high concepts. Is the entire like last two episodes going to be talking Luo at a whiteboard showing how the dark forest principle works? Like, I don't know how it's going to work. Like I thought like the cigarette thing was pretty interesting, but like, is that going kind to of trend? Like, is it just like a whole episode of of exposition? I don't know. Like, that's why I think it's yeah. going to be a little more difficult although like in this book they'll have like the huge grand scale uh set pieces of the droplet attack and the battle of darkness happening so there's like there's big hooks into stuff but then there's also there's just so much like personality driven concepts that are going to be hard to show in a interesting way uh visually i think
1: well yeah that and the imbalance between the first and second half of the book like i think the first book kind of continues along at 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 least a a, a steady pace or like a similar pace whereas like i can see this um the first half of this season like and there's and there's no way to like mix it up it's not like you know because there's this hard like cut you know to the future and all that it's not like you can take like elements from like the back half and kind of like mix it up in a way to like even the pace out like it's just going to be like people are going to be like god the first half of this season is so boring and then the second half is so awesome (laughs) thing you know yeah it's going to be kind of hard to pace that out like episode by episode and again it will have big payoff they'll blow their cg budget on uh all the stuff that happens in the second half and
0: right yeah i wonder if they'll actually just save that for the end of the season you know kind of like shifting order like where lalaji realizes the dark force principle and then they go oh let's have a big battle right <laughs> like even though it doesn't make sense but yeah they
1: could kind of shift things around yeah like when we're in that times you know in that that portion but it's not like they can like there's not a whole lot they could do with like the first half of it
0: yeah i mean i'm sure they they can and will mess around with the the time ordering of things and introduce new characters or yeah. new events or cut out events there's even some events in the third book that i have opinions on how they're going to do it so yeah i think there's a lot of opportunity i don't think that what they're going to do is like do a shot by shot remake of the book to the show. Like, like the same way they did with like like game of Thrones in the first, like two, two or three seasons, it was more or less like shot for shot, right? Like it kind of happens in the order that happens in the books. Right. I don't think they're going to do that here.
1: Yeah. I mean they could definitely take liberties with characters as well. Obviously there's, you know, like I've read a lot of uh criticism of, you know, like you know, the treatment of women in this and there's, you know, like a lack of like female characters and all that. So I would not be surprised if we see a lot of gender swapped characters, um, you know, for the with Luigi and his uh and his wife and how they come to meet, you know. And it's just it's right. I imagine there will there will be some changes to that story if they you know they kind of keep you know if they keep that general like frame outline of the relationship they'll have to like write up her character and have them maybe come together in a more naturalistic way maybe
0: yeah that's that's one change i I do hope they make i don't want to see the series change that much but i do want to see his wife have a little bit more agency and a little bit more importance than just being A continual prop for Luigi to do something, right? Sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, his whole, his whole, (laughs) the whole part of him, you know, in the early, his early days as a wall face, or just kind of just taking advantage of it to be this like bored playboy. That it's not going to make him a very like sympathetic character in a lot of ways, especially you know, beginning and um, yeah, yeah. There's no real need for that. There's no real need to maybe have a more elegant, contrived relationship.
0: Okay. Well, any final thoughts or things you guys want to bring up?
1: Well, you know, I guess uh, the, the, the very final, final part here, it, it does end on a little bit of a hokey note and that reminded me of like the fifth element and that the fifth element was love, you know, so <laughs> maybe love will be the thing that breaks, you know, finally breaks the universe of its... Uh of being a dark forest. So
0: <laughs> did, did you like the fact that the final Sofani that he talks to is the, the pacifist? I thought that was a pretty cool callback. Yeah.
1: I thought it was, yeah, I, uh, it was neat, but yeah, it's again, yeah, a, a, a little hokey.
0: Yeah. Although like they did, I, I thought it was cool how they, they talked about like, well, you know, lo- you know, humanity isn't the only civilization that has love. Like Treslaners used to have it, but like we are not just more focused on survival. So we kind of eliminated it as a concept, but it's still, it's yeah, still I'm there. Glad
1: he, I'm glad he's dropping. Yeah. I mean, you know, like adding some nuance to you know other yeah. Trisolarans um hopefully other alien races if we get to meet them but
0: yeah and i think it like kind of shows how ancient the Trisolaran civilization is like where they've got to the point like humanity's only been like a thing for however long right but like it seems like the Trisolarans is like a really really ancient culture they're able to eliminate love out of their their society like that seems to be not a short term thing that you could do right I mean any uh, final thoughts from you about this book
2: well in some way I, I I like this book I think I enjoyed it more than the first book, but mm. also I think this book also helped the first book and yeah i i <laughs>
0: So I, I, know, I know I asked him this too. I mean, and, and, and you know, you and I haven't read a lot of sci-fi, but like, where would you place this book in your kind of tiered uh, rating system?
2: Well, I don't know. It was it was a good book. I, I don't think it was great. I think even after the podcast, I don't think I would go back and read it uh, a bunch of times. But I thought mm-hmm. it, I thought it again, uh, contextualized the first book. I thought it brought forth a lot of really good theories and ideas, and and I thought generally it was, it was well done. So I, I, I like it as a series. I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's the best sci-fi I've ever read. I don't read much sci-fi at all. So it's not, it's, it might be the best sci-fi I've ever read, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the third book as well.
0: And finally, what would you say, uh, I'll, I'll ask Amin first and then Tim after that, but what's your, what was your favorite part of this book?
2: So, so so I thought the droplet attack was really neat and yeah I, I thought that was I thought that part was really well done and and I just thought the whole uh, Luigi taking advantage of being uh, being a wall facer I thought that was entertaining anyway <laughs> that, that he's you know finding ways to game the system of course the way they got there I wasn't a big fan of that but when they got there I thought that was yeah I, I like those
0: two parts of this book how about you Tim
1: yeah I think the um just the time jump to the future and then waking up—that that that hard jump, like, just kind of reinvigorated. I think the the book and the series for me. Like, I think but yeah, I think the the back half of this book all was pretty good, given what what happens. I think that the, you know the the media chapters are kind of like after the time jump and just the the kind of like descriptions of you know what future society is like now and all that. That got its hooks into me, kind of set me up for the rest of the book. Yeah, I would say that's my like favorite. Part, but yeah, I think it 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 concluded really well as well. So,
0: that that's actually my answer as well. Is the the point where he jumps into the future, and at least we get that kind of future history. Uh, you know, where they talk about you know this is how society kind of evolved from the point that you've been asleep, and like we had like this great ravine, and the the political changings of like the fleets becoming their own countries, and that kind of stuff, and then like the future tech and how the cities evolve, like that kind of stuff is yeah, also reinvigorated me into the series. Cause like, you know, like you've mentioned, the first half is pretty slow. Uh, there's a lot of character driven stuff and I'm into that too. But yeah, jumping into the future really, really kind of rocketed it up uh, in, in my opinion.
1: Well, I think it gave him an opportunity to kind of do his own world building. Um, yeah. Where I could kind of also kind of accept it at face value as opposed to what, you know, it's been up to now, which is kind of a somewhat alternate history. Of you know, it's it's kind of in the general present, you know, where we are today, but you know, a somewhat alternate timeline. So, but it was always kind of inviting comparisons to what the world is really like, and we were kind of the back of my mind is like, this would never play out the way he is playing. I yeah, think, you know, humanity would never be able to come up with a wall-facer project or something like that, or even come together in this way. So, you know, it was always kind of inviting those comparisons, you know, with how we know the world actually is. Moving to the future gave him the opportunity to kind of like reset the world and like do his own world building that I think is pretty conv- pretty convincing extrapolation from the world that he built prior to that.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. And check out rehydrate.space for release episodes, reading lists, pronunciation guides, summaries, all the other stuff that we do on the website to help you digest the series along with us. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. And join us next time when we start Death's End by Liu Shin with season five, episode one, the staircase program. Thanks.